0: Hi, everybody, and welcome back to Piercing the Darkness, the podcast dedicated to growing in faith, hope, and love towards both God and others while exposing the kingdom of darkness. I'm your host, Michael John Petty, and I'm excited to be with you on hopefully a shorter episode this week, as last week's podcast with Campus Preacher Keith Darrow went a little bit long. Uh, if you have not listened to it yet, definitely check it out, as it really gives a deeper and more personal look into life—the life of somebody who has totally surrendered his life. I mean, totally, completely to Jesus Christ, and to the gospel, and what that looks like. I'm hopeful to have Keith on the show again another time to dive into deeper theological discussions sometime in the future, Um, but that's for another show. On this week's show, I want to propose a question to you all. Are you a David, or are you a Saul? On the surface, that might seem like a dumb or obvious question. You may be thinking, of course I'm a David. I'm committed to the Lord, and I truly desire to serve him. And if that's you, awesome. I'm so glad you're here. On the flip side, if you're in the camp that I often feel like I'm in, where you believe you're more of a Saul, then I'm glad you're here too. First off, I wanna start out by saying that both King Saul and King David were anointed men of God. The Lord chose each of them for different reasons and used each of them at one point or another to bring glory to his name and the kingdom of Israel. Both Both of them started off on the right foot. In fact, in 1 Samuel ten 9-10, God actually says, um, or it actually says, I'm sorry, that God gave Saul a new heart and set the Holy Spirit upon him that he might be a godly king of Israel. And for a while he was, you know, he saved Israel from invading armies, he surrounded himself with godly men, he prophesied, and he led the kingdom of Israel for two years before he tripped up. So what happened? How does a man of God, a man whose heart God literally changed, fall totally off the deep end? Well, we discover pretty quickly when we get into 1 Samuel 13 that when Saul steps outside of the calling um, that God had placed on his life and into the office of another out of fear, that that's what that's what tripped him up. You see, Saul was in the middle of a war with the Philistines, and he had just been told by the prophet Samuel to wait seven days for him to arrive and make a sacrifice to the Lord. So Saul waited. But on the seventh day, Samuel had not yet arrived. So because he was afraid of the people, and because of his own impatience, Saul made the sacrifice himself, and thus stepped into the role of the prophet or priest that was not his to do as the king. Um, The role of prophet and priest and king, all three of those roles are different. And the reason we don't have priests in the church the reason we don't really have a king in the church and the reason prophets aren't viewed in the same vein as they were in the old testament in the church i mean we still have them they're just viewed their role is slightly different is because jesus christ holds all three of those offices he is our prophet he is our priest and he is our king but back in the old testament that wasn't that wasn't totally the case and saul was the king and because he invaded an office that was not his own um things didn't go terribly well for him. And that's not even the worst part. Samuel actually arrives moments after the sacrifice, literally moments after. And instead of repenting and admitting his guilt, Saul actually defends his own actions. See, Samuel tells Saul that God has chosen another to be king, a man after God's own heart, and that his line would not continue to rule the kingdom. But Saul is still under the impression that he is doing the right thing. This is strike one. In 1 Samuel 14, the very next chapter, Saul makes some incredibly stupid decisions in battle against the Philistines, including keeping his men from eating at the threat of death. Clearly, men in war need to eat. You should not be telling your men not to eat under the threat of the the penalty of death. I mean, that just doesn't seem to make sense at all. Um, Anybody who's been in war knows that you need to keep up your people, your soldier's morale. You need to keep them fed. You need to keep them functioning properly if you want them to function properly in the heat of battle. So Jonathan, who's Saul's son, who still follows the Lord and had just helped save the Israelite army from the Philistines, hadn't heard about Saul's decree. And so he eats right after the battle and people find out and Saul finds out. And Saul, who again is Jonathan's father, decides to kill his son for this wrongdoing against him, but is stopped by the people, the armies of Israel, who recognize that Jonathan's actions in battle and his faith in God are the only reasons that they were still alive. They were the only reasons that they won in the first place. This is strike two against Saul. So strike three occurs in the next chapter in 1 Samuel 15, where God gives Saul one last chance. In this chapter, Samuel tells Saul that God wants him to utterly destroy the Amalekites, to completely wipe them out. Men, women, children, animals, everything must go. And he does. He and his army kill everything in sight, except Saul decides to spare the king, Agag. And he and his men decide that the Amalekites' animals, you know, the ones that are still good and clean and not dirty, shouldn't really be destroyed because they can still be useful. Because of this, the Lord literally tells Samuel that he repents or he regrets making Saul the king of Israel because he has completely rejected his commandments. Samuel cries all night before he finally has to go and tell Saul that God has completely rejected him as king. It's in this passage that we learn the true heart motive or reason that Saul rejected God's words again and again because he was given more than one chance. In verse 17, again, this is chapter 15, in verse 17, Samuel says, When thou wast little in thine own sight, were you not made the head of the tribes of Israel? And the Lord anointed thee king over Israel. Here we learn the truth. Because we know that man looks at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. The truth was that Saul had become prideful. He was no longer humble before the people. Samuel or God. He no longer could admit when he was wrong, and quite frankly, he didn't want to. Even after Samuel said this to him, he continued to deny that he disobeyed God and instead insisted that he actually was in obedience. Eventually, in verse 24, Saul admitted his wrongs. But as we find out in verse 30, just six verses later, it was mostly because he wanted to keep up his appearances with the people and didn't want them thinking that either God or Samuel was actually against him. So Samuel ends up killing Agag, the king, himself, proving once more that Saul's lack of true repentance, um, that Saul had a lack of true repentance, because had he actually repented, he would have done so himself, willingly, because he would have wanted to honor what the Lord had said. I think it's Jesus who says that a man who says he's going to do something and doesn't do it Is there worse than a man who says he won't do something and then later repents and does it out of obedience? Clearly, we see that Saul was uh, the former. Saul's heart was prideful. He was all about himself. Whatever he did, whatever he wanted to do, that was obeying God to him because he had essentially become his own God. So when David was anointed king and the spirit of God was removed from Saul, Saul had opened himself up to demonic attack, and thus the Lord sent an evil spirit to torment him. We have to remember, though, because it's so easy to judge Saul. It really is, because he makes a lot of really stupid decisions, and he continues to make the stupid decisions. I mean, he ends up going to see a witch to try and consult with demons, essentially, to find an answer from God, because God is not answering his prayers. He tries to kill David like a million times. Actually, it is over 20 times he tries to kill David, three times the same way and he even decides that he wants to kill his son again um, after he finds out that his son is actually friends with and aiding and abetting David so it's very easy to judge Saul but we have to remember that he was never beyond repentance had Saul turned to God and actually repented of his sins and fully acknowledged that they were sin he would have been forgiven sure the consequences of those sins might not have been removed and he certainly would have not been king any longer his line would not have Have taken the throne after he died. That would have gone to David still, because that's what God had said. But he would no longer be separated from God in the way that he had been. Instead, he might have actually been an ally to God and to David, possibly even welcoming him into the kingdom and relinquishing the throne himself and passing it on to David. But we don't know. Because instead, Saul allowed hatred and anger and jealousy to rule his life and his heart. And he attempted to murder David constantly. People who were once on fire for God and then go their own way only to continue to backslide without a true desire for repentance are people who are all about themselves. It's always everyone else's fault. It's never their own. They're always under spiritual attack, but they can never really seem to get themselves out of it. Their prayers aren't answered and their frustration only grows. They have no peace. These are souls. They need prayer They need love. And more than that, they need God because he is the only one who can change their hearts. Pray for these people. Love these people. Show these people the sin in their lives that you see that maybe they can't see. And try and bring them to repentance. Because if you do, you've won yourself a brother. But let's contrast these people with Davids. Davids are people who meditate on God's word constantly. Wherever there is a problem or whenever there is a problem, they go to God. They don't rely on themselves or on their own wisdom or understanding. They lean on the Lord. They truly trust him, even when their feelings don't seem to quite match their faith. I'm sure David felt terrified when he went on that battlefield to face Goliath. I'm sure he felt like like that all the time when Saul was trying to kill him. Anytime he walked by Saul, he never knew if Saul was going to throw a javelin at him and actually kill him that day. But his faith overcame that fear because he trusted God and he knew God had a plan for him and he knew God had a covenant to keep with his people. Davids are people surrounded by godly music. We know from 1 Samuel sixteen twenty three that the soothing music that David played on the harp was the only thing that could lift, um, I'm sorry, that could give Saul any relief when he was plagued by the evil spirit. In fact, in Isaiah 63, no, that's wrong. In Isaiah 61.3, Isaiah says that the only thing that can lift the spirit of heaviness is the garment of praise. Worship music or any music that truly honors God is a must in the life of a Christian. We are instructed to worship God. We are told again and again that he is the only one who deserves our praise. We also know from the book of Romans that faith comes by hearing, and if we are constantly listening to the music and the thoughts of the world, our faith in God might suffer. 73 psalms are actually attributed to being written by David. He clearly believed that worship and praise and even song and music was important to God. Davids are people who are trained for the fight, or another way of saying this is that they are prepared for the calling that God has placed on their lives. According to 1 Samuel 17 verses 34 through 37, David had been tested before he even laid eyes on Goliath, when he killed both a bear and a lion with his bare hands in defending his father's flock. God knew that these tests would give David the courage and faith to trust him for victory against a giant. Remember, though, there were many years between when David was anointed and fought Goliath to when he finally took the the throne. David's need to also be prepared to wait. These people, these Davids, are also in fellowship or covenant relationship with others. They aren't lone wolves. Yeah, David was married, and thus a covenant relationship uh, was born in that sense. But more importantly, he was in a covenant relationship with Jonathan, Saul's son and his best friend. 1 Samuel 18 tells us a little bit about their bond, that they had a literal soul tie with one another. Scripture says that there's a friend who sticks closer than a brother, and this is certainly true of David's because god never intended us to go through the christian life alone this is what the church is for and if you aren't a part of the church if you you know not not just i'm not just talking about going to church but i'm talking about like being in fellowship with other believers if you're not doing that 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 is something that you really should be because that's something we're called to be because without jonathan david probably could have could have and would have been killed by saul But instead, Jonathan was able to help David and able to help protect him and shield him and keep him away from his father so that David could eventually take the throne himself. Davids also honor their parents. So when David and his men were on the run from Saul, one of David's first acts was to beg the king of Moab to protect his parents while he and his men were on the run so that Saul couldn't harm them. David truly loved his mother and father, and he obeyed what God said to Moses in that we are to honor our father and mother, because if we do so, the Lord will give us a long life. In fact, the New Testament also refers to this um, commandment as being the first commandment with promise. If we honor our father and mother, the Lord will bless us with long life. This is what Davids do. Davids also honor those whom God has anointed and placed in special authority. He honored Saul, God's first anointed king, by refusing to kill him, instead constantly trying to reconcile with him. It was David's right to kill Saul. <laughs> there is no reason that Saul shouldn't have been killed by David, quite frankly. The only reason David didn't is because he honored the anointing that God had initially put on Saul. Because he honored what God had done in Saul's life, he hoped that Saul would turn out better. He hoped that Saul would repent. We all know he didn't. He also honored the prophets by doing whatever they commanded him, provided it was what the Lord had told them to do. And he also honored God's priests by bringing Abiathar into his camp and protecting him after Saul had slaughtered all of the priests of Israel, including Abiathar's father. David's submission to these human authorities that God had placed in his life was an act of obedience not just to them but to God and in our lives as believers in Christ that means submitting to the authorities in the church that means submitting to the authorities of the the spiritual authority the spiritual authority of men in our lives Um, the, the people that God has placed in our lives over us whether that is our parents or whether that is our pastor or whether that is a prophet of the Lord or whether that is this person or that person. We need to honor those that have been put over us, whether in spiritual authority or in the natural. Again, Jesus said, Return under Caesar what is Caesar's and God what is God's. And finally, unlike Saul's, David's repent of sin. And this is, this one is really the key. David was a man and like every man except Jesus Christ, he sinned. He lied, cheated, committed adultery and killed, often even. But whenever David was confronted by God or by a man of God for his sin, he always repented, begging God not to take the Holy Spirit from him as he had done with Saul because David truly loved God and he he just didn't want to be without God. See, David didn't want to become a Saul either. So he took sin very seriously. And this is partially why God called him a man after his own heart because he truly had a fear of the Lord. And part of the fear of the Lord well, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, but, but the fear of the Lord is also to eschew yourself from evil. Psalm 51 was written by David after committing an incredibly heinous sin. If you are broken over your sin, if you truly want to turn from your sin and make the conscious choice to remove it from your life, you're on the right track. You're doing what David did. I hope all of this was helpful to you. I know it was to me. So thank you all for listening. I really appreciate it. I know that this was a shorter podcast, but that's okay. If you have any questions or concerns, please email us at piercingpodcast@gmail.com, at tweet us at piercingpodcast, know the darkness in there, just piercingpodcast, or find us on our piercing the darkness podcast Facebook page. Before I close, though, I'd like to just pray over you all real quickly. Father God. I just ask that you would bless all of those listening in Jesus' name. I ask that you would pour your Holy Spirit afresh upon us. Forgive us, Lord, for our iniquities and sins against you. Please keep us from becoming souls and show us how to be Davids, how to be better like Christ. In your holy name, Lord Jesus, we pray. Amen. Thanks for listening, and we will see you next week.